0: Welcome to A Pitcher of Beer with Stick It in Your Ear, a 24-year-old record store in Springfield, Missouri. I'm your host, Nathan Weidman, here with owner Wes Nichols to drink beer and unlock the black holes of his mind. So grab a beer and attempt to understand the wealth of useless but kick-ass information. Alright, today is the day that starts the origins of rock. The beginning. (laughs) We're going all the way back to...
1: Before, before rock, before rock, we're talking, you know, even the 1700s, you're talking renaissance music, you're talking music that was based on piano, harpsichords, uh, which turned as we became electric into organs, and organs, as we know, were the primary, uh, 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 the, the first origins of any kind, including drum, of the churches and in church you, you had gospel music I mean there was nothing that wasn't just strictly related to religion at the time and that goes back as far as, as mu- music goes back but uh, the, the origins of rock I was constituted as three different castes you had gospel which is probably the origin of music if you don't include classical but gospel and the blues, which was a dirty version, I've always thought, a little more raucous, racy version of gospel music, which was that the the Lord wasn't the only thing to sing to, but it was trials and tribulations and girls and death and and uh, sex and all these amalgams became... A dirty version of gospel which is blues and then you had somewhere in the middle country which was the probably a little bit more um, not in a bigoted tone but in a way to say a white version of the blues where the the white was all about the country and the, the farming and all that whereas the, the black experience came from a different angle and that angle included the slavery and the misfortune and the no money, devil, and everything that that, that kind of made you fear the, the strife of life. So you have these, you have gospel, you have somewhere in the middle, which is this country, and country sometimes had a gospel band, but it sometimes had what became blues, a blues band to it. And then you had the new music at the time, which was probably the turn of the century, you know, maybe from slave times as early as 1850s, 1860s. But one of the very first recorded Realms was blues, which was Robert Johnson, and uh, Child Ivory, and all these early, early, early things that were just, uh, I would say, stepchilds of gospel, of uh, dark, dark gospel, which people sometimes would call the blues. And then uh, blues became blues became something that had a four-four rhythm. To talk in like musical terms. Which became rock and roll, which is the one, two, three, four, rather than either a lazy um, waltz time, which blues and gospel both embraced, or 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 on the backside of a four-four. And so, rock and roll—it was a natural evolution, which we know now as like the Burnett Trio, Chuck Berry. Uh, little Richard, these origins. And if you if you wanna to be totally honest, then those guys were all steeped into when they grew up steeped into gospel music. And so they get out of the church and they go, fuck, we're gonna talk about the real things in life, you know, crime and getting stabbed and getting you know, losing your girlfriend and and believing in the devil and this and that, you know. So it just it was a it was a perfect storm in the the, I would say the origins of rock fifty one fifty two a a perfect storm to create this stuff that made you dance, you know, and you know as we know now the first the the origins of white rock, you know those first pictures of Elvis up there, man, they wouldn't show him dancing below the wakes because they didn't want you to see the dick and the the, 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 butt the sex and the, of rock and they roll. the sex of what became. Well, and I, I think, and there are several different, uh, people that, or, 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 uh, bases that say it was, it was originally called boogie woogie and the term boogie woogie came from literally from cemeteries, the boogeyman and woogie would say that's where you would go. And back in the day to quietly when you were teenagers, you'd go to the cemeteries oddly enough to have sex. This is a true, true story. You can go back. So. The boogie-woogie was dancing on the graves or dancing near the graves. And then the blacks took that. And and I I, I don't know who came up with the term rock and roll. It was maybe Alan Freed. But there are other places that when when that came about maybe 20, 30 years ago that, that totally refuted that it was Alan Freed, that it was in basis somewhere in Alabama or Mississippi, that it had to do literally with a rock and and rolling down the street or something. There was a, I, I I I can't remember the story, but I don't think it was some white guy in Detroit or Chicago or wherever Alan Freed was. <laughs> I do believe it was, it was a blues thing, and it was something you had to have this rock in your hand, and and roll down. And, you, and it was a once again, it was this Robert Johnson thing, which we'll talk about here in a little while, of uh, making a deal with the devil. If you were rocking and rolling, if you if you rocked and rolled, you were really out there putting your fucking neck on the line, you know, you were, you were really experiencing life, but, uh, so that kind of, that sets us up for what I think, I mean, that it's where everything starts, I mean, does it start with Chuck Berry, maybe, does it start with Little Richard, that there would be a lot that argue that he started it, um, uh, the, the, the Burnett Trio, which maybe had the very first rock and roll record, uh, you know, Mule Skinner, and you've got all these things that were kind of hybrids of country and rockabilly. I don't even know where that really, that the term, there would be a lot that would refute that rock and roll came along. Or that rock was the hillbilly, that rockabilly was the stepchild of rock and roll, which was hillbilly rock. Which was, you know, very now we know what rockabilly is and it makes sense. But uh, then there was a song called Rocket 88, which was supposedly the first one, two, three, four, one, two, that was the set, that was the outline for what you and I know as rock and roll, which we all know is four, four, doom, good, dag, good, you know, just a rock song, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it all really comes, it, when people say, well, you don't like, I don't like country, you don't like gospel. Well, you're saying, you know, you don't like the, the 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 structure of what we now know as rock and roll. Because it all came, it came from those three, yeah, the egg. those three factors. It was the egg. You came, it and was you, the egg, absolutely was the egg. You know, you just, the, the thing about classical is a lot of people said, well, uh, you have to include... Classical, because there are those thirty seconds and sixty fours, these beautiful little quads in the middle of quarter notes, and it's this is getting specific, but it's very true that uh, the middle. I mean Neil Peart of Rush would tell you, without classical, without these these these, these trills and these things in between the downbeats, you don't have inflection, and then if you don't have the inflection, these weird colors and off colors, you don't have the structure, which is one, two, three, four, da ba ba, da ba ba, da ba 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 ba, and these accents, and that's I, 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 I kind of would refute that classical had that kind of influence on it, but it, it, you could argue that you could argue that maybe classical did, and maybe it did because it was the first. You got to admit, you know, you can go back to, to, uh, you know, ancient times, and it was all very very barbaric and you know there was no no such thing but when when these ideas came out they were very dreamlike I remember there were writings that said classical music this is called music what is this well it's like a dream it's how I dream and then Beethoven says I don't know what word you could put on this but I dream in these sharp staccato things I dream and now that there is a, a a an instrument I can, it's coming out of my dreams. This is You know, and he goes, this is, I dream like this when I'm running. And, and now I can put it because there are these strings and there are these, these keys that I can, that I can say. I mean, that's a heavy, that's a fucking heavy thing to yeah, say. No, but no those words. are really truly the origins. The first harps, the first pianos is, actually executing your these guys what they dreamed what they feared what they but the the, the biggest
0: brick wall there is no words it was stories with stories with no lyrics absolutely and then then the gospel and the good point the blues this took it to yeah i'm going to tell you a story a booking a book right yeah but right right right
1: but but are yeah, exactly right and before that it was very only dreamlike and that it puts you in a different place whereas yes absolutely the first lyrics and that would that's a great uh, when were, what were the origins of lyrics in music that's a kid I don't know if anybody's ever approached that when were those had to be in probably late seventeen hundreds early eighteen hundreds later post renaissance somewhere in there that people started singing. And expressing that with with voice, and that was a big big thing at the time too. But now the thing about rock, even up to people look and sometimes see metal and, and the and the, the, the these vocal the what they call the growls and the the death metal vocals. But it's really, I mean, if you get past the fact that it's it's a different intonation people so that shit that's just noise but it's really just an expression it's a grunt it's a it's pain it's the fear it's all that it's just in a different in a different cupboard you know when you open it by god there it is well you might not you might shut that cupboard and go to a different one but i really i mean really is it different and how strange was blues when it first came along that you talk and robert it's a good place to start with the origin the real origin of rock, which was Robert Johnson, and it was, it was this cat. Uh, I'll try to make it quick, but he—he was—I think he was a 27 too. They all—all you know, all these rock guys. That's a weird one. We'll have a whole deal on 27s. <laughs> but I think he died when he was 27. And according to American legend, he couldn't play. His, his father and his grandfather tried to get him to play this three-string guitar, and he couldn't play. And it wasn't good, and he kept trying in fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and supposedly ended up in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And I've been there before, and now it's just the the crossroads is in the middle of the fucking town, and there's like a church's chicken, and it's just so horribly, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, a, uh, a corporate thing now. But back in the day, this was on the edge of town, and supposedly this cross where... Where this road meets this road, he went and said, I'll give anything to God or the devil if I can learn how to play this instrument. And this guy shows up and says, really? Will you really? So he says, there you go, and I'll be back. And so all of a sudden, Robert Johnson, and this is the story, which is obviously not true, but, but in the, it's according to Hollywood, that's how it happened. So he he all of a sudden can play and he goes and and of course, back in the days, this young, virile black guy, so he's screwing all these these hot cats, at the girls at the time, and he ends up in some place, I think in Greenwood, which is where he's buried, or maybe Indianola, which is where B.B. King was from, and he was playing there, and he had been seeing this bar owner's girlfriend or wife, and had been with her several times. And so this guy caught, this bar owner caught on to it. And this is the real story as far as as far as far I know. So he comes back for an engagement place a Friday, Saturday. And I think he'd been screwing around with uh, the girl again. Well, the bar owner spiked a drink. And he got horribly uh, poisoned and boom, died like two or three days later. But that's the story of Robert Johnson. And now you go back. And, uh, you know, down the line, you get the origins, which would have been Howlin' Wolf, who came 20 years after. A young Howlin' Wolf came 20 years after. And a young Muddy Waters, which came 20 years after. And a young Sonny Boy Williamson one that came 20 years after. And they kind of created this presage to rock and roll. Because at that time, it was still blues, and it was still a poor man, and predominantly a black thing that they would go and 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 dance all night to these these cats playing these little six-string guitars and and uh it was called the Chit- what became the Chitlin circuit which was the black circuit of the 30s, 40s, 50s even through I think the early 60s when the the Chitlin circuit kind of ran ran its run, run because the white people started paying a lot of money and enjoying it but uh those guys precursed and so these kids these these seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids were listening to or lucky to go see and in, in a flop house or or sitting on, on at a grain store, Muddy Waters and Sunny Boy and Howlin and and Lightning. They were all these young twenty twenty somethings and they would play anywhere they could get paid a you know, a case of whiskey or, you know, ten dollars or whatever and so there were these young cats like uh, little Richard, his name was Richard Penniman and they would, and that really, they would, they saw what he was, what these blues guys were doing in 4-4. Four, four. And then a little bit of 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 time kind of allowed a little bit more of the of the instruments to mature. And then all of a sudden they had what became this boogie woogie beat, this you know, you don't want to talk about it, but you know the whites, whites especially, you know, because it was all about sex and all about, you know, moving and dancing and which now we all all just you know it's G-rated, but back then that was an incredibly uh, risque thing, and you know I still stick to the fact I'm I've I've always respected a cat like like Elvis Presley, but we all have to realize the reason. One of the main reasons he was so successful, because he really never wrote anything. You go back, and uh, my cousin, Mae Axton, and we'll talk about that in a whole deal later, wrote Heartbreak Hotel, and she told Granny, my grandma, years later, we gave him a, a writing lyric, thinking that down the road he would never be around in 20 years. So we were trying to throw a little money his way. And so we gave him credit on a word or two. And so when you look at the credits on that, it will, it will say Axton uh, Presley. And I think she even gave riding credit to some cat that she was riding with at the time in uh, in Tennessee. And But she said really he didn't. He hovered over the, the piano and said, Duh, no, let's not go down on that. Let's go up on that. And, or let's not go, you know my my baby left me, or a baby left me or or those babies left me, and he I think maybe changed a word or two, but anyway he but that's the only thing the cat wrote, but what I'm saying is he was the first white guy, and that's why it was such a big thing was because white America still had not totally embraced the culture of blues, not by any stretch of the imagination blues and the hybrid of rockabilly or racy country, which I absolutely think Hank Williams Sr. had a lot to do with uh, with really pushing forward the agenda of, of kind of lyrically something dangerous and cool and which, you know, mostly at the time, white America really understood Hank. The trials and tribulations, he talked a lot about death, drinking, uh, girls leaving, which was the white version of what lightning and muddy, and and Sonny Boy and Howlin and all these cats were yeah,
0: you lose were, the you lose the sax you lose the harmonica you lose the trumpet or you, you, you got country
1: what do you got there you go there you go that's, you go. It. that's exa- you're exactly right man you're exactly right but what what it did and the word legitimized is wrong but it's not it when Elvis came along it made it acceptable Although it took him a year or two to really get in the good graces because he was, number one, he was white, good looking, seemed to be an innocent kid from a poor background. So it was the perfect storm to let in a white entity into what they knew was snowballing into what was to become the the egg, as you said, the baby that became rock and roll. And... If you go back, you're going to go, okay, well, Little Richard had a song in 54. Chuck had one in 53, 54, 55. So really, those cats were really, really the first ones to open the door of four for the hybrid that we know as rock and roll. By the time Elvis came in, you know, they were still doing hay rides. There was still a folk movement, which I totally, I I haven't even brought in that element Folk was probably really important, more lyrically than musically. About there were no borders, there were no boundaries of what to, to yeah. sing about. But but not necessarily but, the sound. But but
0: folk but the, though that that kind of comes from the Renaissance in itself is it, sure, it which was country skipped gospel, but you still have those old string instruments. Yes, country you know, and gospel and was you folk. Just, yeah, yeah, but in the Renaissance, you told a story, and you had and then gospel went to the organs, and folk
1: stayed in that stream,
0: kind of slow. I agree. I
1: agree, I agree. but with, with folk, they stayed true and that's why they got so pissed at Dylan. There, were, there was a whole band of folk peers and a lot of those guys were real, real religious, really staunch and, and to, for folk to be such a liberating force, which it was, there were still a lot of people within that movement that were very bigoted, that were very white America and it had to work itself out. And and on that side we have a guy named Pete Seeger to thank, who was so multiracial and embraced everybody, which opened the door for Arlo Guthrie, which opened the door for Bob Dylan. And now we're seeing this folk-based movement, which in my mind kind of came up alongside the blues movement and if you really are honest with yourself the blues movement was a black was an Afri- african-american thing and the the folk movement as a whole I mean you got Lead Belly you've got uh, Paul Robeson you have all these guys that were tried-and-true uh, folk uh, interpreters and singers but for the most part that movement was predominantly white, and and that never changed until they kind of met in the '60s. And once again, you had, like you said, you you have all these roads that merge, that that separate at times, and then they merge. And I think those those folk blues movements also became what we know now as modern folk. Mm-hmm. You know, even up to groups like uh, you know, uh, the, the the Indigo Girls, and all these that took that folk movement and by the time the 80s hit now that was considered alternative even though it was really folk plugged in folk plugged yeah. in REM another band that said man you know you we're REM and you probably see us down say alternative and they really were kind of a face for 80s 90s what they call alternative music which was just you know kind of a little more stripped down version of what had become overblown and overdone and and bastardized with disco and all that stuff. But they said, hey man, you know, when we were kids, we were listening. The latest stuff was the birds, but we were, you know, besides the birds, which was R.E.M.'s main influence, we were listening to Dylan. We were listening to Pete Seeger. We were listening to all this and, and all of a sudden we went, hey, we've got, a Gretsch, a hollow-bodied guitar that is plugged in, and so now we can use all these sounds to make bigger sounds. And then, of course, you, you're talking about where, just like anything, and especially where you're located and where you bring it up, that always has to influence you, where you're from, what you see, what you hear, and and and. But especially the origins of rock really are about that, about where what they were listening to as it was coming up. And they just, the wind was blowing at the right time. But I would say, if you ask me, the most underrated as far as creating the sound of rock, I still think we got one that's still living, Nate, that doesn't get the, uh... and you know, his, his, his work didn't have a huge body, but in the space of two years, the guy had seven or eight incredible songs that, That are still mimicked. And that's Little Richard. That's Richard Penniman. And everybody talks about Chuck Berry. He's a given. He's a given that probably created four or five rhythmic uh, uh, guitar sounds. That will never be... It's all been... When they always say that, you know, it's all been done before. By God, you can always trace it back to Chuck Berry. You you know, with, with the first four or five tracks that were number ones, and the Beach Boys go, hey, man, if there was no Chuck Berry, I mean, we copied him. Our whole career was copying Chuck Berry. And then you get guys like John Hammond Jr. says, I wouldn't know what a shuffle was if I hadn't listened to the radio, which was nothing but Chuck Berry. You know, you hear, I mean, even guys now, man, it's just amazing that they go, well, it's all the same shuffle and 4-4 guitar and upstrokes and... Then Chuck Berry did it on on those five or six songs, you know, your Maybellines and all those early, early. And that is truly the origins of rock. I mean, you can trace it to secondary players and I don't want to downplay guys like Jerry Lee Lewis who took it into kind of a country rockabilly era. Johnny Cash. Johnny Johnny Cash. Cash, who absolutely was an early secondary player in rock. And even though a lot of people But he was a storyteller. A lot of people go, well, he was country. But, you know, to be truthful, Cash was a folk writer. And everybody, you have just as many rock dudes that love Cash as you do country guys. And so I kind of put that there in the folk. And Bob Dylan said he was the greatest songwriter ever. So for Dylan to say that, you know, puts him in a whole different stratosphere of... Of, I mean, that's that's a whole podcast right there. Is cash and the drug use and the uh, the the psychotic dichotomy that a lot of people don't talk about, but I'm, it was obvious that. He was this God-fearing guy, and then he was a guy that just fucked you and did as many drugs uh, as he wanted the, to for as long as he wanted. And the, he did
0: But the guy was fucked up from, what, day like, one. eight years old? Yeah, you know. yeah, from, brother, from, from day brother one. Brother died, and he, yeah. I mean, that was it. Right, but, absolutely. Well, not to get into that, but...
1: but We'll have Halloween, to do a Halloween podcast just, just of just of, the of these the fucked up shit. these horrible things that, you know, with Elvis having the, the twin brother that supposedly haunted his body until the day, and he would, they would say, and this came from, there was a guy here in town, man, his name was John Wilkinson, and he was Elvis's last guitar player, and, and it's known, I don't have to tell you, he lived over there on, uh, I bought his records a few years ago, and his wife, Terry, called me, and she started getting into it, and I was going to talk to her for a little bit, and then she just, we got off on something else, but he said Elvis would sometimes just, when he would be in a in a in a restroom or something or getting ready, you know, looking at his shit before a show, and then he would go, "Well, now it's going to be okay. I got us both. I'll take care of this. You just stay right there and you just be right on my shoulder." And so he really, you know, I mean, there's some really really bizarre bizarre things out there, but yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 tragedies all obviously created these. I mean, the greatest of the great, and they were just these simple little sad things that created the greatest music that that you know we've ever heard, that we'll probably ever hear. And I, I mean, unless I've forgotten anything, I don't, I don't know the origins. I mean, it's got to be blues, right? It has to be. I mean, it's the well, it's the bullhead gospel. that came in. Gospel without, did,
0: but without gospel, there would be no
1: Elvis. There no, absolutely not. And then you know there. that's why I think that was the end of the days it's, where they they did their wow. bow to gospel. But it's and where now,
0: black and white met. It's absolutely, where, absolutely. It's where gospel yes. was predominantly white blues, and it's where right. it met right, right. there. Right. in That's a the, good the point. The '60s, that's you know, a good '50s, point. '60s. That was, that,
1: and they could, they could have an emotional agreement. Yeah, of right, right. of they history, they, of white, emotion. You know, white people acknowledge blues, that, right?
0: That's right. That's going somewhere, and right. then vice versa. It, it wasn't all one one sided, but.
1: That is, that's a great way to put it. You had these two things that met right in the middle and didn't agree all the time, but I think that was the beginning of musically saying, I see that, that boogie, you know, shit. And, and, and then the other side going, I see that white bread, you know, kind of, you know, I see, you know, and then they agreed and then it became this beautiful thing. And man, it was tough then. I mean, a lot of people, it, you know music you people don't talk but music until probably that era 30s 40s was still segregated mm-hmm. god knows it, the, uh, where you danced tough, was god knows where you drank the beer and listened to the it 40s, was
0: tough in the 50s tough in the 70s yes, i mean it, it, yeah. it's still i
1: mean 70s was really about the first time that that uh the the black culture just started saying, "Man, we're making some badass shit, and you guys can either get along with it but, or not." But
0: white people started sticking up for them too. Yes, you know that yeah. was that well, was yeah. when yeah 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 I, yeah.
1: you know, I mean, think that, that was part, maybe
0: you know parts of the country were still hey you can't do that. right you can't or bring just
1: that. refuse to play it and that, then you're a talking tour about here, radio can't come
0: through here I mean
1: we sh- they, the, the, there should be a podcast on the segregation of radio and. The lack of money that was given—you know—if if radio was based then on what it is now, Muddy Waters would have been a millionaire in 1958. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, Howlin' Wolf would, would have been a millionaire when he in '56, but. It, sadly it wasn't that way and they were taken advantage of and taken advantage of and taken advantage of and I think right before John Lee Hooker died and he was another one that was in the middle of the yeah. mix that I've forgotten yeah. finally said there were only a couple of us that made it through to see the money and that was Muddy and me and I think they, they finally had representation that not only believed in their music but believed in and that culture, saying that was a that, fair... That it was, culture, it was, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, right, right. That uh, you, you can't, There was no stigma. You can't that.
0: give credit and say that blues started with them right. and cheat them out of... And cheat them out yeah. of that,
1: right. Yeah. Well, and that's why in the 60s, uh, early, mid-60s, 61, 2, 3, when blues had... A lot of people, historians say, blues had run its course, which we know is bullshit it, because about 62 or three was when it was the very very uh, speck of the early british invasion and you mm-hmm. had groups like the yardbirds and even early beatles you know you think well the you know, beatles weren't blues but oh man they were listening to those yeah. chitlin records they well, were listening to those 78s they were although they were also listening to stuff that was called skiffle which was an english version of rockabilly and it was this beaten on a on a cardboard box type of cheap guitar Aaron guitar uh thing and this guy named Lonnie Donegan did a song called 20 Flight Rock and it was one, two, three, Two and it was just this kind of rip off of a Bill Haley thing but uh they said, "Well, god, we heard we were listening to these the Wolf 78s on the radio station, then we'd hear 20 Flight Rock and put them together and that was that was the Beatles." But in all things
0: secular blues and gospel created rock and roll but without absolutely but but all these Fleetwood Mac Springsteen started in blues without it it going you know repeating itself Uh you know we had rock and roll Elvis Johnny then these guys got into the old blues I gotta write songs nobody's gonna buy my shit if I can't write songs gotta write got it blues folk and then they all started in blues right they all ended up back in rock and roll
1: that's it and it's weird because in the early '60s, there were still there still had to be a lot of white and I think it was white British producers that had to go out there and and tell these guys, listen, we just did. Hey, Mister Sonny Boy Williamson, we just covered two of your songs, and we're selling a million records. Here's a percentage. That started then it didn't it wasn't perfected then because those guys some of those guys skipped james and and all those cats starved until they died, but it was the beginning of paying those old blues cats for what they deserved, which was getting ripped off and stolen from, and years years later in the eighties uh Clapton said i I kind of am proud of a couple things in my life, and one of them was getting this guy this producer the the guy's name escapes me that he said in the late 60s I was just getting ready to quit cream and go on my own and he goes man half my career has been covering Crossroads and all these blues songs and these cats I can't even look them in the face because I've got the money and they wrote the song and so he said I that's one of the things that I'm proud of and I can't it wasn't Robert Stigwood, but it was somebody kind of like him. It was back in the in the uh, in the blues scene in the early mid '60s. that says this has got to change, and so I think around '69 or '70 they made some kind of deal and tried to trace songwriting royalties to where. But by those by that time, those guys were fucking dead, They're most gone. of them. Yeah. But Muddy saw it. Muddy saw a little bit of the money, and John Lee. One of the, he was it was on NPR like in the. Like not too long before he died in the late eighties, I think, where he says, Hey man, there's only a couple they asked him about money, he goes, Hey, I'm fine now, yeah, I'm fine. But there's only a couple of us that made it through to see that. And one was muddy and one's me. And now we know that Buddy, Buddy Guy, although he was kind of a almost a third generation buddy's one of the last we we've, we've got that uh, has seen a lot of money. So that's good. So And maybe that wraps it up for next week episode we get two the you guys hope we get I into hope the there are at least three or four people out there listening to this that <laughs> that actually enjoyed it but we enjoyed doing it so we'll see you next week